we're going to be still for a moment to be aware that as we are here, we are in the presence of our living, loving God. Be persistent in prayer and keep alert as you pray, giving thanks to God. At the same time, pray also for us, so that God will give us a good opportunity to preach his message about the secret of Christ. Pray then, says the Apostle Paul, that I may speak as I should, in such a way as to make it clear. Now, the theme of today's service is all around prayer, and usually when we pray in a good Baptisty kind of tradition, we use lots of words, sometimes lots and lots of words, and it's very much a brain kind of activity, and that's fine, but there is a risk that we lose some of the richness that other Christian traditions offer us, where things like posture and action movement are explicitly part of prayer. So we're going to start off with a kind of body-centred prayer as our prayer of approach to God today. So I invite you to make yourself as comfortable as you can, knowing fine well that whenever somebody says that to me, I get a fidget somewhere in one of my limbs, but just try and make yourself as comfortable as you can. And you might like to close your eyes, because that helps to avoid distraction, but you don't have to. And you might like to cup your hands as if you are holding something. And if you can imagine in your hands you are holding the things that might distract you, then you can turn your hands over and let them go. And then just sit relaxed and comfortable, becoming aware of the natural rhythm of your breathing. And now as we breathe, and please breathe in your own natural rhythm, you will be invited to make your breathing an act of prayer. As we breathe in, that which is life-giving, and we breathe out, that which is life-destroying. We breathe in, and we breathe out. We breathe in, come Holy Spirit. And we breathe out all that would distract us. We breathe in. Come, Holy Spirit. And we breathe out all that hampers our prayer. We breathe in. Receiving God's love. And we breathe out any bitterness or hate or regret.
we breathe in, receiving Christ's peace. And we breathe out stress and anxiety. We breathe in. And we breathe out. We relax in the presence of the God who is love. In the stillness. In the silence. God meets us and loves us. In the wordless space, our soul's cries are heard by God. In the unfamiliar act of quietude, we discover our prayers travelling heavenwards. God of stillness, God of silence, accept our prayers and our praises offered to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got my visual aid this morning for the first part of the service. And I have a feeling I may well have done this before, in which case I apologise, but my memory is not what it was. Can you tell, me, tell the grown-ups what I've got there? Can you see what it is? Can you see what it is? A spoon, that's right, it's a spoon. Is it a, is it a particular kind of spoon? Has it got a special name, do you know? A teaspoon, fantastic. It's great, isn't it? You can get these parents to whisper. It's super duper. A <laughs> teaspoon. A small spoon that we use perhaps to measure some sugar. Who puts sugar in their tea or coffee? Confession time. Not that many people. That's very impressive, very healthy lot. But you can perhaps put some sugar in it to put on your cereal, if you put sugar on your cereal. Or if you're doing some cooking, you might put a little bit of salt on. And who has to have medicine sometimes? You can put medicine on a teaspoon. It's just the right amount for holding some medicine if you have to have that. So a teaspoon is small and very useful. And if you're a cook and you look in a recipe book, they don't write down put in one teaspoon of salt or one teaspoon of sugar. They put put in one tusp. Tusp, yep, T-S-P, tusp, teaspoon. But that reminds us, well, I've said on the, on the order of service, it's three little words, it's strictly four little words, but you'll bear with me, I'm sure. Of three things, three ways we can talk to God. T is for thank you, things we might want to say thank you to God for. S is for sorry. And P is for please when we actually ask God to help us or to help other people. But, you know, I think a teaspoon's really useful because it's small and it reminds us that prayers don't have to be big and they don't have to have long words and they don't have to be clever. But if we say thank you and sorry and please, which when I was growing up I was told were magic words, then that's a good way to do our praying. So I'm going to just leave this teaspoon on the table here. It's one of the things to help us to think about prayer.
today. The reading today is from Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 14, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly, saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him? Day and night. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else, for I don't cheat, I don't sin, and I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Thank you very much. So that's two stories that Jesus told us about prayer. And we'll think a little bit more of those in a while. But I wonder, who likes Winnie the Pooh stories? Anybody like Winnie the Pooh stories? Well, Katrina and I do, so it obviously goes with the name. But uh, who knows Winnie the Pooh stories? Hmm, Quite a few people. Who knows who Christopher Robin was? Wendy. He was indeed. Christopher Robin Milne was the son of A.A. Milne, who wrote the Winnie the Pooh stories. And this is a poem that was written about Christopher Robin saying his prayers. And I think probably Christopher Robin was about the same age as Carl when this was written about him saying his prayers. This is what he said. Little boy kneels at the foot of the bed, droops on the little hands, little gold head. Hush, hush, whisper who dares, Christopher Robin is saying his prayers. 
God bless mummy, I know that's right. Wasn't it fun in the bath tonight? The cold so cold and the hot so hot. Oh. God bless daddy, I quite forgot. If I open my fingers a little bit more, I can see Nanny's dressing gown on the door. It's a beautiful blue, but it hasn't a hood. Oh, God bless Nanny and make her good. Mine has a hood and I lie in bed and I pull the hood right over my head and I shut my eyes and I curl up small and nobody knows that I'm there at all. Oh, thank you, God, for a lovely day. And what was the other I had to say? I said, bless Daddy, so what can it be? Oh, now I remember. God bless me. Little boy kneels at the foot of the bed, droops on the little hands, little gold head. Hush, hush. Whisper who dares. Christopher Robin is saying his prayers. Now, I'm told that Christopher Robin Milne hates that poem. (laughs) He hates the fact that all these people have been allowed to see into his bedroom when he was a little boy trying to say his prayers. But, you know, I think that little poem has a lot to say to us. Because sometimes it's really hard to concentrate when we say our prayers. And when Christopher Robin was going up, it used to be the thing that little children, when they went to bed, would kneel down, oh, that's a long way down, by their bed, put their hands together, and then lean their heads down and say their prayers. I can just imagine him peeping to see what's going on, because it was hard to concentrate It's good to pray, and it's good to talk to God, as we've already sung. But sometimes, actually, it's not that easy, is it? Not if we're honest, anyway. And, you know, Jesus' friends found it quite difficult to pray. And they came to him one day and said, Jesus, can you tell us how we do this praying thing? Debbie's going to read that for us now. And this is Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. Once Jesus was in a certain place, praying. As he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need. And forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Thank you. This morning, we heard two stories that Jesus told about prayer. And in them, we met four very different, fictitious people. There was a member of the religious elite, a man who considered himself to be really rather holy, who lived a very moral life and was quite sure that he was right with God. 
And there was a tax collector, a Roman collaborator, the one who was seen as worldly and, quite frankly, not remotely spiritual. And he was rather embarrassed as he came to God. And then there was the widow who just went on and on and on, badgering the judge to try and get what she wanted. And there was the judge, the important, busy man, who quite frankly got fed up with listening to this woman going on and on and on about the same old stuff over and over again. None of them really existed. They were all fictitious. But I wonder which, if any of them, you identify with. Or, if you're honest, which you would identify anybody else you know with. The story of the Pharisee and the tax collector is one that we have to approach with great caution. Because if we thank God that we're not like the Pharisee, that we aren't self-righteous and pompous, then, whoops-a-daisy, we've actually just done exactly what the Pharisee did. And if we think we're like the tax collector, not sure what to pray or how to pray, and really not you know, quite up sure what this whole praying thing's about, then we can get a bit lazy and think it doesn't matter. Just pray any old how, it doesn't matter. Or perhaps we feel we're a bit like that widow, constantly praying the same thing over and over again, and nothing seems to change. Or perhaps we're like the judge, who would be bored to tears hearing the same prayers prayed week in and week out, and eventually got so fed up that just maybe he'd do something about playing his part in the answering of them. Or maybe we feel a bit like all of them at some times. Whichever of them you might think you like, or none of them, I suspect if you're honest, and if you're anything like me at all, when you hear that story of the disciples coming to Jesus, there's a sense of familiarity. They came to Jesus and said, we're struggling. Can you help us with this prayer thing? The truth is that most Christians, if they're honest, and sadly not all are, find prayer to be difficult. And despite any number of how to pray books, when to pray books, where to pray books, The truth is that most Christians find it really difficult to sustain an active and meaningful prayer life. When I was a lot younger, I used to hear sermons and read books to try and help me pray, pray. And they told me about these great men of God, and they always were men in those days, who would get up at some ridiculously early hour in the morning, you know, like about four o'clock, And they'd spend hours and hours in prayer and they would have several different prayer lists that they would pray through and it would da-da-da-da. And I just used to end up feeling useless, quite frankly. So I'm going to be honest with you this morning. Sometimes when I'm praying, I fall asleep. 
Sometimes I don't know what to pray or how to pray. Sometimes it feels like I'm talking to the wall. Sometimes, like Christopher Robin, I haven't been praying very long before my mind's wandered off. And yes, sometimes if somebody is leading prayer in church and they go on and on and on and on, I do wish they'd shut up. I'm not saying that's good. I'm not saying I'm proud of it. I'm just saying that's how it is. Maybe I'm the most unspiritual minister in the whole of Christendom. It's possible. But maybe, and more likely, I'm just a bit like other people. Because I think anybody who says that they find prayer to be easy is either just the most amazingly spiritual person or more likely a little bit misguided. The Bible assumes that prayer will happen, but we don't get told very much about it. We know that people went to the temple to pray, they went to the synagogue to pray, but we don't have any of the liturgies that they used printed out for us to read. The Gospels tell us that Jesus would go off on his own to pray, sometimes up a hill, sometimes into a quiet place. But apart from the Gethsemane story, we don't know what he prayed or how he prayed. Throughout the centuries, the Christian church has tied itself into all kinds of theological knots about prayer turning the pattern prayer recorded in Matthew and Luke, what we call the Lord's Prayer, into a ritualised formula. The church has got itself into all kinds of knots about should you use books of prayer or should you be praying completely extempore, making it up as you go along. Which is right? Which is wrong? Which has got the spirit? Which hasn't got the spirit? And do you know what? For all of this, over and over again, we come back to the same place. We find it difficult to pray, and we worry that somehow or other we're getting it wrong. So what is it we can glean from those parables and from other parts of the Bible to help us to think about prayer? The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector takes us to one of the public places of worship and prayer, the temple. And we overhear their prayers, but I imagine, actually, they wouldn't have been spoken aloud. I can't imagine the Pharisee standing up saying for everybody to hear, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like him over there. I think we're listening in to his his head somehow. One of the confusions that people have about prayer is this whole thing about public and private, out loud and silent. We have Jesus saying in the Gospels, go into your room and close the door and pray privately where God will hear you. But we also have all through scripture accounts of people coming together to pray as one body focused on God. The reality is that there is a place for both the private and spontaneous opening of our hearts and minds to God and for the gathering of God's people to share in prayer. Private prayer can, and I would argue should, include prayer for others, but it is primarily our conversation with God, our prayers about our own lives. 
The language will be informal, it might be halting. We might express strong emotions, we might shout, we might cry. We might just sit there silent because we can't find the words to say whatever it is we need to pray. Private prayer ought to be the most authentic expression of our faith and of our doubt, our hope and our fear. Not a kind of polite, meaningless formula. You don't talk to your family in kind of formal, meaningless ways, do you? You tell them how it is. Or at least, hopefully, you do. But sometimes, I suspect, if we're honest, our private prayer life can get a bit formal and not very authentic. Sometimes when we pray, we will feel very much at peace. We're sure that our God has, been heard, God has heard and accepted our prayers. And other times, and I would suggest more of the times, we might feel nothing whatsoever. If we assume we're always going to feel something, then I think we've perhaps misunderstood what prayer is about. We don't do it for how it makes us feel. On the sheets that you can take away with you, I've put a chapter from C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters, where Screwtape, the senior devil, is writing to Wormwood, the junior devil, about how to undermine the Christian that he's been given to trip up. And one of the things he said is, you know, when Christians start off, they want to feel that they've been heard. So if you can stop them feeling, they'll think it's, it's not working. It's not about how we feel. We don't talk to each other because of how it makes us feel. In the parable, the men went to pray to the temple. And Jesus said, also, pray privately. So do we have to be in a building when we pray? And do we have to adopt a specific posture to pray? I've already said that the Gospels tell us Jesus went to all sorts of places to pray, up hills, in the desert, most likely on a boat, and of course, in Gethsemane. We can pray anywhere and anytime. You don't need me to tell you that. You've heard it all before. That means that we can do it quickly. We don't have to have big, long words. We can just respond to what's going on. Perhaps we see a beautiful sunset and we just say, thank you, God. Perhaps we hear or see something on the news and we just say, do you know what, God? I'm worried about that. The exhortation in the Bible to pray without ceasing doesn't mean pray for hours and hours and hours at a time. And it doesn't necessarily mean say the same prayer over and over. It's just, I believe, God saying to us, this is part of life. Just those quick one sentence, one phrase prayers are part of your life. When I was growing up, the local vicar in Northampton used to call them arrow prayers. Very quick, very short, to the point. But they sometimes mean more, if we're honest, than we sit there with that list of names and places and work through it. It's good to have those. I'm not saying it's not good to have those. But sometimes, if we're honest, we don't know what to do with them because they're just names, just places. Short prayers, long prayers, prayers in the car, prayers when you're out walking, 
Prayers on the bus. Prayers when you're drinking a cup of tea. They're all fine. I'm sure I've said it before many times about the, uh, the young vicar that went to the bishop very worried. And he said, well, is it all right for me to say my prayers while I'm having a cup of tea? And the bishop, who was very wise, says, well, I don't know about that, but it's perfectly fine to pray whilst you're drinking. You, can't drink, if you might not be able to drink your tea whilst you're praying, but you can certainly pray whilst you're drinking your tea. I told that wrong, didn't I? Never mind. <laughs> Just blame the tamoxifen. It's okay to pray any time. We don't have to be in the right place, in the right posture. It's the way it goes. But what about posture? We Baptisty type people and Western non-conformists nearly always sit on chairs, nearly always put our hands together and close our eyes and bow our heads just a little bit. And there are good reasons for that. Closed eyes are less likely to spot something interesting over there to look at. Folded hands are a bit less likely to fidget, and sitting on chairs is relatively comfortable. But I wonder if you knew that people began praying sitting on chairs because it was a way of avoiding kneeling on a wet, muddy floor in a cold northern climate when you haven't got a lot of clothes, and if they got cold and wet and mucky, you were stuck with it. It was a good way of keeping clean to stay sat. But if we went into other Western traditions and other traditions that are not Western of the church, we would be reminded how much our bodies can, and I would argue should, better be used in prayer. We spent a year working with a Roman Catholic church, and we would kneel for our confessions. A physical moving down to humble yourself. A lot of Catholics in the confessions will actually symbolically thump their chest as they go and sort of symbolically saying, I've got this wrong and I'm sorry to God. They will stand up at certain points when they're praising God. There is a tradition of signing yourself with a cross, either a big one, as you start your prayers, in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Ghost, or a little one, God be in my head, God be in my mouth, God be in my heart. Using our bodies in prayer can be really helpful. Charismatics will lift their hands You go to a football match, you lift your hands. If you're excited about God, why not do it? And how are Africans and African-Caribbean friends cope with us standing so still? I don't know. Because it would be quite normal to sway or to dance whilst you're praying or singing to God. I wonder, have we in our word-based Western tradition lost something special about praying without words? Well, that's all fine and dandy, but who or what should we pray about? How long should we pray? What's going on with all this prayer prayer stuff? Well, just a few thoughts, and I'll try to keep them reasonably short, because I'm good at waffling on for a long time. Firstly, there is something about attitude. We are exhorted by Scripture to keep on praying, even if it seems as if sometimes God is either not listening or not answering. When we pray, we should be praying as the words of the Lord's Prayer says, not for what we want, but for what God wills. And that's actually really hard, because sometimes God's best answer doesn't match our heartfelt desire. 
Prayer is not about praying in our opinions to change God to agree with us, but rather to ask God to change us to fit in with what God wills. It's not always easy to do that honestly, because we all want what we want. If I pray for somebody to be healed, I want them to get better. But that might not be how I understand it as I pray it. And who should we pray for? Well, the New Testament gives us some pointers, some of which we find more or less natural. Perhaps it's useful to know what isn't on the list of things that we should pray for. We should not pray for wealth or success, or status or recognition, or for our own desires. I don't want to turn into that Pharisee person pointing fingers, but prosperity theology that focuses on asking God to bless me and mine has no basis whatsoever in a New Testament understanding of prayer. The New Testament calls on us to pray for those we find it hard to like, and even for those who make our lives difficult. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Despite our Baptist stress on the separation of church and state, we are called to pray for rulers and for governments. In a country that happens to have a monarchy, that does include praying for the royal family on occasion. We are called to pray for those who are in need, people who are sick, hungry, homeless, oppressed, poor. But it's not enough just to pray for the right groups in a kind of trivial way, that God is some kind of genie in a bottle or make it right because we've used the right words. But actually, every time we say, thy will be done, We are committing ourselves to be part of the answer to those prayers. Whether that means we give money to charity, whether that affects the choices in the food we buy or the clothes we buy, whether it has meant as it has for a lot of Christians and people of other faith down south this week, getting involved in clearing up after riots. It will be different for different people at different times, but we have a part to play in the answering of our prayers. Lastly, what do we do when we can't find the words? What do we do when we are so tired that we can't concentrate? Or we're too unwell? Or we're too overwhelmed by what's going on in our own life? And we just don't know how to begin? Well, in this finally, there are two very brief thoughts. Firstly, a very biblical one. Part of the mystery of our faith is that our Trinitarian God is actively involved in our attempts to pray. God doesn't sit there like a headmaster, ticking off the quality of our prayers and that we've got all the right things. But actually, God, as Holy Spirit, intercedes for us, turns our mumbling and stumbling into something that God can make sense of. And even when words fail us, and even when words fail the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will groan on our behalf. Sometimes over the last year, I'll be honest, my prayers have degenerated into groaning or crying or whatever. But knowing that God's Spirit is turning that into something that God can use is something that I've found helpful. 
but also an ecclesiological one. I have to do that because I like ecclesiology. And our Baptist thing about the priesthood of all believers. Part of understanding the church that way, the church as a visible expression of the body of Christ, of all of us as one another's priests. It means that I will pray when you can't pray. And you will pray when I can't pray. And together we will continue that work of prayer for a broken world and for each other. And those inadequate, faltering, stumbling prayers will be accepted by the God who hears and is swift to answer, however small our faith. Our prayers for other people this morning are going to be interactive. Our prayers this morning are going to be silent prayers. And there is a scripture that tells us the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. What's going to happen is we're going to listen to some recorded music, um, Teze music. And you are invited to draw or to write on that side of your leaf, the side with the veins on, and something to symbolise the prayers you want to bring to God for a broken and disordered world. And then, if you feel ready to, or to pass it to somebody else, to come and stick them on our tree and to give it its leaves. When you do so, you're then invited to take a leaf of mint off the mint plants and to squeeze it between your fingers as you sit, and to enjoy the fragrance of that. Herbs traditionally have a medical function, and I think mint is one of those that's pretty safe on an allergies and uh, drug interaction basis, so that's why we've gone with mint. But it's just a chance to sit in the stillness and silently pray, however that is for you today. If there are no words, no thoughts, that's fine. If you want to sing along with the recorded music, that is also fine. But we bring our prayers to God. of your Son, Jesus Christ, and we ask that whatever we have written or drawn, we will have the grace to hand over to you, but they will, we'll also have the willingness to play our part in the answering of those prayers, to his glory and for his name's sake. Amen.